Section 67 of Frontier Humor in Verse, Prose, and Picture. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Bill Mosley, Lano County, Texas, USA. Frontier Humor in Verse, Prose, and Picture by Palmer Cox The Champion Mean Man Yesterday I came across a singular-looking individual dressed in a greasy, dingy suit. He was sitting on a log before his door, engaged in repairing a shovel handle. Say, stranger, I said, addressing him, can you inform me where Deacon Shellbark lives? The farmer looked up, pushed his slouched hat back on his head, and after surveying me some time in silence, drawled out, Be you any relation of his'n? No, I replied, a little surprised at his manner of answering. I haven't a relative in the state. By thunder, I congratulate you upon your good fortune, he ejaculated, particularly because there's no tie of consanguinity existing atwixt you and old Deacon Shellbark. He's expecting a son home, and I thought you might be him. Well, he continued, pointing with a huge jackknife that he held in his hand, you see that house to the left of them scrub oaks, don't you? That our building with the little cupola on it? Well, thar's where old Deacon Shellbark lives, the meanest man in this year county. And that's saying considerable, too, cause we got some vicey-fisted customers round these year parts, men who scrape the puddin' pot mighty clean before the dog gets a chance to canvas it. Now I can tell you, but I feel safe in stickin' in old shellbark at the head, and I ain't a-gwine to haul him down another. I don't believe in talkin' much about one's neighbors, but I generally tell strangers what sort of a man he is, cause if they go to tradin' with him and aren't on their guard, He'll skin him quicker than a whirlpool sucks in a dead fish. You know the deacon then, I remarked, while the hope I had entertained of getting his name on my subscription list began to take to itself wings. Yes, I reckon I do know him, he replied. Pooty well, too. A great sight better than is profitable to him, and he knows it. Oh, you bet he knows it, and he hates me as he does the dry murrain that ginned the crows fifteen of his best cows last summer. I knowed him back in Scrabbletown. They wouldn't allow him to come within a pistol shot of a church back thar, because they'd more'n suspect he stole the wine and bread from the communion table one day. They were down on him, flattering a stone on a cricket allers afterwards. He's a deacon out here, though, but that ain't nothing. He can't fool me with his praying. I want no such crooked old disciple as he is interceding for me, you know. 
I was hoping he would subscribe for this book, I remarked. But I'm afraid there's not much use of my going there if he is so very mean. Look here, stranger, he remarked earnestly. You might just as well stop thar while you're standing. Subscribe, he'll gig back from a subscription list just as he would from a six-shooter. Oh, but this is a religious work, and perhaps he would lend that his support, I answered quickly. Religious work be shelved, exclaimed the farmer. That doesn't help you any. You can't do anything with him, cause he hain't got no more soul than an empty gin bottle. You might as well bait a rat trap with a cat's head and expect the varmin to go nibbling at it as to expect him to put his name down to anything that's a-gwine to take coin from his pockets. You're a stranger in these year parts, I see. Therefore, I haven't the slightest idea what a towering mean man he is. Why, he'd run a mile to get on the sunny side of a feller to cheat him out of his shadow. I knowed him back in old Indiana. He's from the same place that I am, but you can kick me clear over to them foothills and back again if I don't feel like taking pison every time I have to own up to it. He used to be in cahoot with a tanner back thar named Doby. Sleepy Doby, the boys called him, for he was the sleepiest feller you ever did see. Go asleep while working at anything. He would drop asleep sometimes while scraping a hide and cut the consarn thing all into parents. At other times, he would fall back into the tan vat, then wake up and holler for the boys to come and fish him out. They say he dropped asleep once while ringing a hog to prevent him from rooting up the clover patch. The minister of the village had to pause in the middle of a sermon he was preaching half a block away until the squealing subsided. But as I was gwine to tell you, before the rheumatism got into his giants and made him shun water as he would a tax collector, old Shellbark used to be pooty fond of fishing. One day Parson Bodfish was gwine off to have a day's sport and took me along to carry the fish. I was only a boy then and mighty tickled because I could go. Just about the time we got to the river, we overtook old Shellbark a pointin' thar too. When we got to the bank, they both set in getting out thar hooks and lines, and then for the first time, old Shellbark found out he had left his bake to hum. So he commenced to sputter and fret, taking on terribly about it until Parson Bodfish says to him, "That's all right. I reckon I've got enough bait in this box for both of us." and I'll give you half of mine, and let us start in and make the most of it. So the parson, who had a heart the size of a sheep's head, took out his bait box and gin him more than half. It's so, I seed him when he took him out. Pooty soon arter, while the parson was a-standin' on a log that horned out over the water, a-baitin' of his hooks, a big-mouthed fish-hawk gin a chattering screech overhead and startled him a little, and while looking up he let his bait-box fall into the river. The box was open, so the worms were scattered ever which way, and away went box and bait a-flukin' down the rapids, 
and the parson's cusses follered arter. He did swar by a hunky. I heerd him. He had a mighty hot temper, and it was more than he could do sometimes to keep it down. A feller couldn't blame him much for swarring just then, cause twas a pooty trying time. He turned round sort of quick when he thought of me being thar. I seed him turning though, and let on to be talking to a fish that I was stringing on, so he reckoned I hadn't noticed him. We hurried on down the river, and arter a while overtook old Shellbark, who was snaking him out as fast as he could fix bait and throw in. I lost all my worms back thar while standing on a log, says the parson, and we'll have to fall back on you for some. The old snipe grumbled out something about being out of all patience with people who are so fool careless. Arter a while he took out the rag he kept the worms in, and although he had quite a large knot of em, he gin the parson just one, and dead at that. It's so. You may laugh, but I seed it. When he was a-pickin' it out and handin' it to him, and when Parson Bodfish was a-stickin' the hook into him, he lay thar and took it as easy and never squirmed or objected the least. You'd have thought it was a link of vermicelli the Parson had picked out of a soup plate. When Parson Bodfish took it from him, he held it between his finger and thumb a while, just that way, and I swore I felt solid sure he was gwine to slap it back into old Shellbark's face. He didn't, though, but he did look as if he'd liked to mighty well. He stood thar and stared him in the face, as if Actawali in doubt about his being the person he divided with in the morning. Arter a while, he baited his hook and started in right thar. He had amazing good luck, too. With one bait, he hauled out four flopping great chubs, one right arter the other, and during the same time, old Shellbark didn't get a bite from anything but mosquitoes. He seemed just tearing mad over it, too, I can tell you. He stood there a flopping and a scratching and a slinging of his line out the full length, trying on all sides continually, but to no purpose. At last, thinking he had a fish when he didn't, he switched up his line so spiteful it caught in a treetop more than fifteen feet above his head, and while he was a-gawping up there, jerking the line and stamping around, he sawed his foot flat on his string of fish that were lying there on the bank, and squashed the innards out of nigh every one of em. Between thar slipperiness and his confusion, hurrying to get off him before they were spiled, he fell and slipped away down the bank head first, a clawing and a kicking just like a skeered alligator. Only he chanced to strike against an old root that was sticking up at the margin of the river. He'd have gone plumb to the bottom for sartin. Unfortunately, the last fish Parson Bodfish caught had swallowed the bait. So he says to me kind of low, Dolphus, let's see if we can't skeer up a lizard or something that'll do for bait when a man's in a pinch. 
So we set in to hunting and sarching under old logs and stones and dead wild grass, but couldn't get hold of anything. The parson fell three times on all fours in the dirt and gin his wrist a mighty bad sprain while pursuing a queer long-legged horned critter, something like a cricket, only poisonous, I guess. I could have caught it once as it went droning past, but didn't feel like touching it. Finally, it got stuck into a clump of ferns, and he gin it up. So, order a while, he says, I'll have to go back and try that old shell bark again, though I'd rather take a dose of Ipecac than do it. So we come back to where he was fishing. He looked mighty solemn and was muddy as an old stone boat. Says the parson to him, I'll have to call on you again for another dead worm. The one you gimme is all gobbled up. Seems to me you're mighty extravagant with the bait, he says gruffly, and switching his line round and slinging it out as far as the pole would let it go, but not making the least motion to comply with the parson's request. Well, I don't know how that is, says Parson Bodfish, kind of easy-like and trying to keep down his anger, that I seed was rising just like bilin' sugar. I nabbed four rousing good fish with that one bait. I reckon that's doing pretty well. Fact, I know it is. They seem to bite first rate at dead worms just now. Well, I don't know anything about that, says the old narrow gauge. Supposing you cut up some of your fish and see if you can't catch something with that sort of bait. Fish bite pretty well at that sort of offering just before rain, they say. And you ain't a gwine to give me any worms, says the parson, in a husky voice, and shaking like a rag in the wind. He was so chock full of passion. Well, this is a sort of curious world, Mr. Bodfish, says old Shellbark, slow and niggardly like. Just that way, and without a feller looks out for himself, he ain't considered nothing. Sides, you know, he continued, fish bait is a good deal like an oyster or a bean, something that's mighty hard to divide with a feller, and he commits to troll along downstream. Apple sass and spinach, I never did see a man so riled as that parson bodfish was since I could distinguish the moon from a lightning bug. He changed to all the colors of the rainbow by turns in less time than I'm telling you. You never see such a struggle between sin and piety as raged inside that parson for about five minutes. First piety seemed to be getting on top. Then sin would choke her down and hold her thar. At last he turned round and run full chisel behind the turned up roots of a big windfall as though a gallon and a half of black hornets were arter him. I reckoned he was gwine arter stuns to gin the old feller a good pelton, and that kind of work being right into my hand, I ran thar too, calculating to help him do it, but I was mistaken. He wasn't gwine arter stuns, for I seed so soon as he thought he was out of sight, 
He flopped down on his knees, right thar in the mud, holding his hands giant together above his head just that way. I allowed he was a-gwine to pray then for sartin, but he didn't pray no siree, not much prior. Just then, he swore though, he did. I heard him just as plain as could be. Says he, I swore I'll get even yet with that old shellbark if I have to yank him out of his grave like a body snatcher to accomplish it. I felt like running thar and saying, Don't rise yet, let me kneel and swore too, the same as that tricky feller does in the play whar he's a foolin' the jealous nigger so bad. But I knowed it wouldn't do, cause he didn't want me to see him kneel thar in the mud. So when he came back, he found me pelting a frog as if nothing had happened. Come, Dolphus, says he. It's getting pooty late. I guess we might as well be a-moving back home. So we turned back toward the village, though twant more than noon, and left old Shellbark fishing thar. He did get even with him, though. One Sunday soon arter Parson Bodfish was... Here the farmer was interrupted by a wild-looking female who stuck her frowsy head out of an open window like a turtle out of its shell and shouted in anything but a sweet voice, Dolphus, you natural-born talking machine, you, what are you a-settin' a-pratin' and a-pratin' about out thar? That old hog is in the garden again, a-hoistin' the parsnips and crunchin' him like an old bar. Consarn her spotted hide, he vociferated, jumping up and grabbing a huge cudgel that lay nearby. Just you stop here, stranger, for about ten seconds till I make that old swine think thar's a trip-hammer got a foul of her. Then I'll tell you how the parson got even. I couldn't stop to hear the story anyway, I replied, for I must be traveling. However, I'll take your advice and give the deacon a wide berth. As I descended the hill, the swine's wail was ringing in my ears and I judged the trip-hammer was at work. End of section 67